Church, would you please stand with me? We're going to read today's passage. We're going to start by reading the entire passage from Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, and I will only get to the first three verses today. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is God's Word. Please be seated. A sermon on marriage, or a series on marriage, as we begin working our way through Ephesians 5, uh, it strikes different people in different ways. Some folks are great with it. Uh, we need these reminders from God's Word about marriage. Others are not so great with it for various reasons. Some folks have some pain or regret or guilt from a past marriage, or others are perhaps in the middle of a struggling marriage that they feel so alone, and it just stirs up pain for them. And then, of course, there are many folks who are single and would love to be married, and a, a series on marriage can be a little bit difficult. And I, I appreciate all of these things and all of these different responses. But let me remind all of us at the outset of this series on marriage this fall of a few things. First of all, divorce and family breakdown are not only rampant in our culture, but they are rampant in, our, in the church, in the church in America. And when it comes to marriage, the stakes are so high, not just for the couple, in the sense that there will be no greater determiner of their uh, welfare and happiness outside the relationship with God than their marriage. Far more important than career, house, sports, hobbies, anything else like that. And the effect on their children, uh, so great. And so the stakes for marriage are just so high. Also, I think we all know that uh, marriage is struggling in the United States, and it's not only in many ways uh, under attack from a hostile culture, but certainly is, is under attack from a spiritual enemy who probably uses this area more than any other area to try to devour and ruin our souls and our families. We've got a spiritual enemy attacking. Also, let me remind you that 
if you personally do not feel the need for a message or series on marriage, then I encourage you, defer to the body. It's clear that the body, uh, the church, needs teaching from God's Word on marriage because it's not working too well. And, and, and so I just encourage you, for the sake of the body, for the sake of, of young couples in our church, for the sake of struggling couples in our church, for the sake of future couples in our church, and that might include you. You might get married in the, in, the, in the future. For the sake of couples, then let me encourage you to defer to the body. Moreover, God's timing is apropos for us because when there is a widespread disaster like Hurricane Harvey, do you know that divorce rates skyrocket in about three months, as does suicide? So let's be on the preventative side of this and not on the uh, uh, too late side. Finally, let me remind all of us that all of the Bible is God's Word and it speaks to us, all of it, every one of us. Finally, by way of introduction, I have two asks for you, for every one of you. One is this. Um, I need you to be praying with me that God would use these, these, this series this fall in a special way to heal and strengthen marriages. Because I'm just aware, in fact, I pray daily it must be 15, maybe more marriages at Wood's Edge. And who knows how many couples, if I knew all of them that are struggling, that I would be praying for. And just take it by faith. There are a lot of struggling marriages out there. And no marriage out there is perfect. We all need help. And I am asking you, to be praying during this time, God, heal marriages and strengthen marriages. My second ask is this, and this is particularly to all of us who are married, is that let's have a special sensitivity to singles. Uh, it breaks my heart that singles in America and the church in America so often feel like second-class citizens, that the church is kind of geared towards the, the, the marriages and family and not towards singles. That's just not biblical. That is not Christ-like. That is not biblical. It is not loving to, to treat anyone as a second-class citizen, so that's just not, not going to be the way we, we respond. So, so let's have a special sensitivity during this series to singles. All righty. So we, we turn to our passage in Ephesians 5. Many of you know that this is not only the longest passage on marriage in all the Bible, maybe the Song of Solomon, the whole book is about marriage, but in the New Testament for sure, it is the most important message on, passage on marriage, and it is certainly the most controversial passage on marriage in the New Testament. Um, let me remind us, assure you, that this is God's Word for your good. It's God's Word for you uh, to think that this passage is outdated or outmoded or belonging to a different era or that it is meant to deprive you of joy and happiness from fulfillment, as sometimes uh, folks treat it, it is, is to believe a lie of the enemy. This passage is for your good, for your fulfillment, and for the, the sort of thriving marriage that you long for deep inside if you're married. Uh, we have uh, as a culture and largely as a church, been so influenced by our culture, by the, by the whining, 
voices of our culture who don't really have a clue about the purposes of marriage. And it's not working. It's not working. And so let's listen to the Creator who gave us marriage as a gift. And let's listen to His voice. Moreover, this passage is a very tender passage of God's love for every single one of us. So I you know, want us to, to not miss that part. All right, let's jump into the marriage, the, the, the passage. The first three verses where we read, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then in verse 24, he'll repeat it again when he says, uh, Wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Notice that he says to wives, you do not submit to husbands in general, or certainly to men in general, but to your own husbands. That's clear about that. Also, he says, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That is, this is part of your spiritual responsibility to God. This is part of your submission to God to submit to your husbands. Really, marriage and these roles, these gender roles, is not so much about you and your spouse, but about you and Jesus on both sides. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, verse 22 that we just read comes right out of verse 21. If you were with us a few weeks ago, when we maybe it was last week, when we talked about being filled with the Spirit, and the fourth result of being filled with the Spirit in verse 21, which is a transitional verse, is submitting to one another out of reverence for God. Now, if you've got your uh, written Bible in front of you, it's not going to show up on the screens. But if you've got your written Bible in front of you, there is a break in the text at that point, and the editors put in a little note, wives and husbands. Well, of course, in the original writings, to, stay, to save space in the valuable uh, leather manuscripts, there was no spacing. There, was no, there were no chapter divisions. There were no, not even uh, word divisions. They had to go back and figure out, okay, that word stopped there and that one starts here. So it just went right in from the other. Submit to one another in the fear of the Lord, in the fear of Christ. And then wives, submit to your husbands. So the context of marriage flows right out of being filled with the Spirit, which of course suggests to us that if, if we're going to have a, a, a hope of having the thriving marriages that we long for, we've got to be filled with the Spirit, empty of self, surrendered to God, filled with God's Spirit. You know, that's just a, a first step. Lord, fill us afresh with your Spirit. And then four results are mentioned, two on worship, one on thanksgiving, and then this posture of submitting to one another, this humility, this servanthood. Now, that applies generally in the church, in the body of Christ, to everybody. But it also applies specifically to the three groups that he goes into. So, verse 22 is a heading verse. And he will have three groups of people that he will specifically address, wives submitting to husbands, Children submitting to parents, slaves submitting to slave owners, which is more of an economical thing or financial thing in that uh, day, but still it was very wrong. And it was the seeds in the New Testament for it to die out. It'd be ap applicable to the employees and employers today. The last two of those relationships, he changes the verb from submit to obey. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your, sla the, your, your masters. He does not use the word obey for wives and husbands, but the, 
but the general word submit. And so there is this tension here or this duality that all believers submit to one another because we take an attitude of surrender and servanthood and humility, but there are specific callings for the folks that God has placed over you, including wives' husbands. There's that duality. All right, let's get to the passage itself when we say wives submit to their husbands. What does that mean? What is God telling you wives, future wives here, to do when he says submit to your husbands? Well, the word submit, we know what it means. It means to defer, to support, to follow, to serve, to respect, to get behind your husband, all those things. When a wife submits to her husband, she has a bent to follow his leadership, hopefully his loving servant leadership. She, she's not in a, a power struggle or power battle, but, but in a, an attitude of, I, I want to follow my husband's leadership. Certainly does not mean that she is a wimp or mousy or a doormat, someone who doesn't express her own opinions or make her own arguments. Certainly does not mean that the husband is the boss or the dictator or makes all the decisions. But it does mean that the husband has the responsibility for the marriage and the family before God. He's got the highest responsibility. And that means that he must be active, not passive, in the marriage, in the family. That means he is more initiating, leading, not drifting or following. If you're a wife, or if you will be a wife... God has designed you to want to follow the loving, tender, servant leadership of a godly husband. There is security in that. There is safety in that. that is, there is love in that. It does not mean that in any way that God wants you to squelch the gifts, the personality, the intelligence, because he gave them to you. Of course he wants you to use them. You don't squelch yourself when your gifts, intelligence might be equal or greater than his. But it does mean that you, have, you take a a stance, a posture, an attitude of submitting. There is no formula for exactly what submitting means. It is a hard attitude, like just about everything in the New Testament. It is a hard attitude that I want to follow, I want to submit, I want to support, I want to defer. A couple of weeks ago, or last week, I think I told you about me biking out at Burroughs Park and getting stopped by a policeman. And um, I submitted to him, not because... I was inferior to him, but because he had authority over me for my good. And the same thing applies to marriage. Now, at this point, I want to pause and underscore a foundational point about wives submitting to husbands. And to do that, I'm going to quote from Lauren Stone. Lauren and Justin Stone go to Wood's Edge. They're actually sitting on the third row in the front, so I can embarrass them. And they are a godly young couple. Lauren, unsolicited, wrote me this note. She said, Jeff, so many women are clinging to and grasping for any shred of self-respect or identity. And the number one place we look for it is men. It's our curse. Our desire is for our husbands. Our sense of self-respect is a life raft that we are clinging to. And this verse is asking us to let go of. We're not letting go without a fight. We can't. Our problem is that we are grasping for value instead of resting in it. Without confidence in the immense value God attributes to us, it's impossible to humble ourselves without being humiliated. That's why Paul spent four chapters expounding our value in Christ before exhorting us to submit to one another. 
She says the reality of the major, for the majority of women in our congregation is this. They are not free to submit. Their souls are crying out for perceived worth instead of resting in received worth. Until we hear from the Lord and receive what He says about us, obeying this passage is, well, we might as well commit emotional suicide. It's just impossible. It's so heavy. But when we understand who we are in Christ, it is weightless. It really is natural and almost joyful to submit, and Christ is our example. He was free to humble Himself and to serve us because His worth didn't come from us, nor was it compromised by our rejection. His dignity was not self-demonstrating. He didn't demand to be recognized. He was free to be unassuming. He rejoiced in empowering others. And those are wise words. Uh, And when it comes to this discussion, like obeying all of Scripture, it starts with your love relationship with God, with receiving God's love and grace into your hearts. And as Lauren mentioned, not just the first four chapters, but you notice how chapter 5 starts back in verses 1 and 2? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Because I'm, like Conrad said, the much-loved child of God, I can obey the Lord. And then he goes on to say, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And wives, you cannot get your sense of worth from your husbands. And by the way, husbands tend to do the same thing for their wives. All of us must Get our sense of worth and value from God alone because He's the only one who can fulfill our souls. And so let me remind you, this passage is founded upon being filled up with God's love and grace. So right now, receive afresh God's love and grace. Maybe you've been a believer for years, but you've never fully received it. You've always, to some extent, kept it obeyed, rejected it, disbelieved it in some way. So if that is you, then open your heart fully and know that it is true. It is true. All righty. After that initial charge, husbands, I mean wives, submit to your own husbands. He speaks of the husband in verse 23 when he says, For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself its Savior. So what does headship mean? Well, He gives us a big clue right at the start. He says, well, look at Christ, and the same way that Christ is the head of the church, in the same way a husband is the head of the wife. Now, what does that mean? Well, Christ was over the church. He was in charge of the church. He was uh, the leader of the church. He Uh, was protective of the church. He took care of the church, all those things. And in the same ways, husbands, we ought to have the same mentality that we're the leader in the home. We're primarily the ones accountable to God for the marriage, for the home. The the one who I would say is more the initiator, the pace setter, the example, the chief sacrificer. He links closely with head, savior of the church. I think perhaps the best 
phrase to describe what the Bible, what this passage is going to unpack as the head of the, as the, head of the family would be servant leader, or perhaps even better, loving leader. It involves both servanthood and love. It involves leadership or headship. Gail and I have been happily married for 24 years. We've been married for 37 years, but we've been happily married for 24 years. And to be honest, um, when, when I tell our story of marriage, which I've done uh, often in the past, haven't done for a while, is Gail kind of gets on me sometimes, Jeff, you make it sound so bad in that first 13 years. Well, it wasn't all bad. Uh, we loved each other. We were committed to not divorcing, and we were working hard at it, but we struggled. Uh, we had, a, had the rockiest courtship of anybody I ever know. I, if I was counseling us, I would have said, don't get married. Had a rocky courtship. Our first year of marriage, if Gail wasn't a Christian, she would have left me, and we'd have been divorced and never known each other, really. Um, the first 13 years were, were a lot of tough times in it. Uh, you got, for us, we, we've got two strong-willed people who are very different, and the husband, that is me, I, I was a, a preoccupied, driven, task-oriented, focused more on the church than on our marriage, and besides that, I was struggling with a mental disease, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and I was not easy to live with. And both of us could have learned some better ways of, of dealing with conflict, which is crucial to all marriage, dealing with conflict. So we struggled. In the 13th year, right before we started Wood's Edge in 1993, um, God, we had two different events. I'm not going to describe them now. Uh, but, but, but two things that led to, to a, a real pivot in our marriage, and things began to change dramatically. And in the last 24 years, uh, and it didn't take uh, that long, pretty soon it started happening significantly, is that Gail and I have, have had the sort of rich marriage that we've dreamed of. Uh, Gail is in Israel now. She conveniently left town when I was going to start marriage here. She's uh, visiting our kids who live over there particularly when I, I talked about submission. Um, uh, but we just feel so close to each other. And, and, and as someone who's experienced what it's like to have a hard marriage and someone who's experienced what it is like to have a great marriage, I can tell you hardly anything is worse than a bad marriage and hardly anything is better than a good marriage for those who are called to marriage. And it is worth every bit of your effort and trust to build the kind of marriage you long for. Gail has always referred to herself as spunky submissive. And actually, that term spunky refers more to her personality than how our marriage works. Gail is neither wimpy nor mousy, uh, yet we both know and just sense. We just know that I'm the head of the, mar the marriage. I never say that. don't think I've ever said that. But we just both know it and, and just kind of the way it works. It, it doesn't mean that I make all the decisions. I make the decisions that are more in my area, my areas of expertise and my areas of highest passion. Gail makes more of the decisions uh, in her areas of, of passion and expertise. And I would say probably Gail makes more decisions than I do affecting our married life in, in many ways, certainly in the home. Um, if we uh, disagree about something, what do we do? Uh, do, do I break the tie? Well, that just never happens. It's just not that way. That, okay, I'm going to break this tie. Uh, we are a couple 
who love each other, and, and we talk it out. And at, at some point, uh, one of us will, it'll be clear, needs to defer to the other one, probably because of the area of expertise and uh, the, the area of passion. It, it just works out. We're both completely honest with one another. That is crucial. The wife must be honest, as must the husband. This is what I like. This is what I feel like. Uh, you're not going to get, ever get close if, if people aren't completely honest. Um, and, and you talk through and work through, and you have a, an attitude of submission. And the husband has got to have an, an attitude and perspective that ultimately I bear responsibility for God. Let me give you an example. I've just worked out recently. There's an art store called Art Outlet over on the freeway, 45, that's going out of business. Gail and I wanted to seize the opportunity to get some paintings. We both enjoy paintings. And we really had to, uh, you know, there's some paintings I like better, some paintings that she liked better, and we had to both compromise, give up some, and defer. We came to some joint agreements and bought some paintings uh, pretty much mutually, equal input. We got home and began putting those up, and Gail had some uh, different ideas than I did about where they went, and I deferred to Gail as I do just about everything in the home, and I was glad to do it, mostly glad. Um, But that's just sort of the way it works. It does not mean that I'm the boss. What it does mean is that I feel this deep responsibility inside for the spiritual wealth, spiritual welfare, and the health of our family, and I accept that and receive that responsibility and own it. For example, uh, things like, uh, you know, as a young couple, uh, there'd be no question that we'd be giving the first 10% of our income to God. Uh, just, I would just make sure. Now, now, Gail is for that just as much as me, but I feel a special responsibility for it. Or, or the priority of Christ in our lives, the priority of Christ in our family, the priority of the church in our family. As the husband, I feel a special responsibility for the spiritual welfare and protection of our family. And, and, and Gail and I just both know that. If I could summarize the bottom line, when it comes to what headship is all about, I would say this. It is a matter, largely, of you seeking the Lord, husbands, with all your heart, and everything else is going to fall in place. Husbands, if we focus on seeking the Lord all in for Jesus Christ, you will be the head, just in the wiring that God has, has, has made you. Um, some of you husbands have listened to the lie that you cannot do this. Oh, I can't do this. That's not who I am. That's not who my wife is. That is a lie. God has given you all that you need. Receive His love. Receive His grace. And then get after it, seeking the Lord and surrendering to the Lord with all your heart. Now, in the next verses, 25 through 33, which we're not looking at today, no less than three times God says to husbands, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Now, what does it mean for a husband to love his wife? What would that look like? Well, he will do these things. He will serve her, sacrifice for her, defer to her, lead her, support her, submit to her, do what's best for her. He will be focused on her, not himself. He will be other-centered, not self-centered. He will be more of a giver than a taker. 
Meanwhile, God had emphatically said to wives before that, submit to your husbands. What does it look like for a wife to submit to her husband? It means that she will serve him, sacrifice for him, support him, defer to him, submit to him, do what's best for him, focus on him, not herself, be more other-centered than self-centered, be more a giver than a taker. Do you see that both of these are going to kind of, kind of coalesce in pretty much the same place? And I would say, if anything, that the husband has the greater burden and responsibility in terms of the sacrificial love that Paul expounds that here. But they both involve living for the other and not yourself. And perhaps right there, we come to the very heart of marriage. And the biggest problem in marriage is our extensive self-centeredness. And unless we admit that and own that, because you got it, just like I do, then we're going to struggle much more in our marriages. We need to understand and admit and confess, I've got this sinful tendency that is to look out for self. And God calls me to empty myself and to love my spouse like Christ loved the church and, and focus on my spouse and not myself. Tim Keller, in what I consider the best book on marriage, uh, The Meaning of Marriage, it, we bought copies put out there on the table out there where there are some other resources about marriage. If you've not read it, I'm just going through it for the second time, superb. Tim Keller put it this way. He said, each of these exhortations, and he means wives submit, husbands love, each of these exhortations has a distinct shape. They are not identical tasks, and yet each partner is called to sacrifice for the other in far-reaching ways. Whether we are husband or wife, we are not to live for ourselves but for the other, and that is the hardest yet single most important function of being a husband or a wife in marriage. Live for the other, not for yourself. You cannot do that in your own strength and power. That's why the passage begins, be filled with the Spirit of God. Oh, Lord, you do it. You cannot do that without not only being filled with the Spirit for power, but be filled with the love and grace of God so that your emotional tank is filled up so that you can love and submit the way God calls you to. You've got to start by being full of God's love and grace, as Lauren Stone reminded us earlier, and to be filled with God's Spirit. Now, a couple of quick questions. When it says that wives should submit in everything to their husbands, does that mean if he tells her to do something sinful? Of course not. Our first loyalty is always to God. Jesus made that so clear about the, the great priority of loving God before family members. Uh, it's analogous to the government. As Christians, we obey the government unless it's sin to obey the government. And for wives, submit to your husbands unless it's uh, sinful to submit to your husbands. If your husband uh, is beating you or hitting you, then what should the wife do? This is what she should do. She should forgive him. She should love him. And she should call the police and have him arrested. That is for his good. It is never loving to enable somebody to do evil. Uh, of course, the whole tenor is that we obey or, or we submit, wives submit to husbands, unless it is sin to do so. A second question is this. 
Why does God say that the husband is the head of the wife and not uh, the head and not the wife? Now that's just kind of the general philosophical question. Why did God do it this way? Why did God say that the husband was the head in the marriage and not the wife? There is no logical reason. It's certainly not that men are smarter in general or more decisive or more godly or better leaders, none of that. We, are tend, we tend to be physically stronger, but that doesn't matter. Men and women certainly have an equal worth and value before God is very clear from the outset of the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2 and beyond as image bearers of God, as people for whom Christ died. Of course, we've got equal value and worth. So why is the husband the head? And I would just say there is mystery here. The Bible declares it. We trust God's design. We trust God's Word that it is for our good. But this is what we do know. We do know that within the relationships of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, one God, equally God, fully God, all equal, that Jesus Christ takes the submit role to the Father. And the Bible is very clear that Jesus submitted to the Father in coming to earth as a human, adopting our humanity, and submitted to the Father even to the, even to the point of death on a cross. Now, when Jesus submits to the Father, that does not mean that He is inferior to the Father. That would be blasphemy or heresy. They're equally God. And when Jesus submits to the Father, it is not a sign of His weakness, but of His greatness. And though the husband, I mean, though Christ vis-a-vis the church has the headship role, vis-a-vis the relationships in the Trinity, Jesus takes His role is the submit role. And so wives, uh, in the mystery of it, we know that our Savior, Jesus Christ, God Himself, took this role. And it is not a role of weakness, but a role of greatness where you see your glory. And it is a flat, outright lie of our culture and of the enemy that it is a curse or an embarrassment rather than a gift of love from our God for your welfare. So receive God's gift to every married couple, whether it is the submit role or the headship role. Dear church this morning, I want to remind you at the outset of this series as God just thrusts us right into the controversy of our culture, that we don't, take, we don't take our cues from our culture. We take our cues from God. This is the word of our Creator who gives us His word for our good and for our, our liberation. And so follow God's design. Follow God's design with all your heart. Filled with God's Spirit full of God's love, follow God's design for marriage. Please stand with me. Lord God, would you please bless the marriages at Wood's Edge, both present ones and future ones, every one of our marriages. Lord, Anyone here who's experienced particular pain in divorce or in a struggling marriage today or or in loving to be married and not, Lord God, would you please extend special grace to them? Lord God, help us to believe you and your good heart towards us. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.